Women in the U.S. have greater economic power than ever before. More women are graduating from college than men. The share of women-run Fortune 500 companies has risen. And in nearly half of heterosexual marriages, women are earning as much or more than their husbands. But with greater economic power comes new financial considerations and the desire among many women to protect their money. For many older women, that means saying no to marriage. Whether they're widowed, divorced, or were never married, more women in their 50s and older are choosing the single life. I wanted to learn more about this shift in the financial landscape, so I called up personal finance columnist Michelle Singletary and features reporter Roxanne Roberts. I asked Roxanne why so many women are opting out of marriage. The one-word answer is fear, that even if you set up a prenup, there are various cases where everybody thought they had airtight financial protections and those turned out not to be so airtight. But if they don't get married, they think that that protects them in a way that would not exist if they were legally bound. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. And on this Valentine's Day, I talk with Michelle and Roxanne about the surprising financial reasons why so many women are rethinking marriage and what factors we should consider to protect both our hearts and our bank accounts. So Roxanne and Michelle, we are here today to talk about love and money and women. Michelle, I want to ask you just what are some of the ways that that women right now, older women, are taking control of their money? Well, I think what we find now is that women are uh, definitely empowered to understand that they know as much about money as men. And it's funny because the studies will show that men They will say, yes, I know a lot about money. And women will be a little bit more hesitant. But when you look at the actual numbers, women are handling their money pretty much the same as men. In fact, when it comes to investing, they're actually better investors because they tend to buy and hold, uh, which is a good principle for long-term investing. And men like to trade a lot. And that trading can impact their returns. And so I think now what women are saying is, you know what, I'm okay with handling money, even if they're worried about it, when it comes down to actually handling it, they're just as uh, capable as men. And listen, most Americans don't know a lot about money. It is not as if men were sitting down at the table. Men just have a lot more bravado, like they think they know. <laughs> and that that that's a, a fast track to getting things wrong. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I have these sessions and men be saying something. I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Sit down. Yeah. You know, <laughs> now the women won't speak up because they know they don't know. Uh, and that's what I love about women. It's like they aren't going to pretend where men might pretend. You know, these are all stereotypes, obviously. But across the board, when we do financial literacy studies, men and women, there are a lot of deficits. And so women should not feel as if the men know more than they do. And Roxanne, I know you recently reported on older women taking control of their finances, but also choosing not to marry precisely because they had concerns about their money. They wanted to protect it should things go south. Is this a social shift? Why do you think this is coming up for older women? From my perspective, culturally, 
particularly women who were older, were always taught or at least led to believe based by all the social norms that the end goal of a romantic relationship had to be marriage. That if you were committed to somebody, that what normal people did is they fell in love and they got married. Now, even though older women no longer are factoring in children as part of that equation with second marriages or late marriages, whatever the factor is, um, there's still this sort of underlying expectation that if you're a serious person and you are a worthy woman, that someone will want to marry you and you'll want to be married. There's a certain level of respectability to that. And what's happening is that all these women who have either never been married or in most cases been divorced or widowed have their own estates. They have enough money so they can take care of themselves. And they view the complications, the financial complications of romantic relationships as a potential downside, particularly women who've been divorced and sort of understand the problems that come financially from that. So there's this kind of quiet rebellion against marriage now that most people don't say, well, I'm never going to get married again, or they may give other reasons, but they don't say I'm never going to get married again because I don't want to commingle my assets and I don't want to fight <laughs> about money with somebody. Yeah, not such a romantic sounding reason. <laughs> exactly. Michelle, what about you? Well, here's the thing. I'm a big advocate for marriage. I've been married over 32 years to the same guy. <laughs> uh, and I think what people get wrong is it's not the institution of marriage this is the problem. It's the communications between the two people who are coupled. So it's not it's not the marriage introduces financial issues is that people are not talking about it, whether they're married or not. We know from studies that people who cohabitate, who don't get married, have the same economic issues as couples who do marry and have problems. And the bottom line is that if you are going to be partnered with someone, there has to be open communications about what's going on with your finances, even if you decide to keep it separate. And when it comes to African-Americans or black women, listen, we never had that issue about marriage because a lot of our men were taken away, you know, after slavery, they were in prison. And so that issue of whether we get married or not was really not the big thing for us. It was just neither one of them could make enough money anyway. So getting married, joining your forces together made it a better economic situation for you because now you've got two incomes that can help build your wealth. What I will add to that is that for older women who are poor or struggling, joining forces economically makes a huge amount of sense. But there's also a legal consideration to think about. Um, Theoretically, if you're communicating with any relationship, you shouldn't be fighting about money, but we know people fight about money all the time. The issue for a lot of the women that I interviewed is that they didn't want to deal with the legal issues of dividing up an estate that come from marriage that don't exist when you're not married. There are always going to be emotional issues, but the legal obligations that come from being married to somebody and dissolving those unions financially are much more complicated than if you're not married. You know, there's definitely things to what you're both saying, and It's fascinating we're talking about this because for a long time throughout the history of humanity, marriage 
has largely been an economic arrangement. So it's funny that we don't talk about money that much anymore when we talk about marriage, at least publicly. So I'm glad we're talking about this now. And actually, Michelle, I know that you put out a call on social media for women to send in their thoughts about marriage and love and money. So I wanted to read one of these comments because I think it underscores what we're trying to dig into here. And so one person wrote in and said, never been legally married, but I would have an extremely difficult time combining finances with anyone since I'm independent and very savvy with all things financial. It would be a red flag and possibly a deal breaker in some cases if my person of interest made poor financial decisions or was badly in debt. Okay, so Michelle, when it comes to finances and marriage, No matter the age, I know you say it's important to talk about these things in detail beforehand, but is there an ideal time to start talking about money in a relationship? And does that equation change if you're older? Is it more urgent? Yeah. So when do you talk about the first date is too soon and the marriage is too late? So, (laughs) you know, somewhere in between. (laughs) Somewhere in between. I think when you become serious and you're thinking about cohabitating or getting married, that is the time to put everything on the table. There should be complete transparency, particularly if you're going to get married. What I own, what I owe, what I make, everything is out there. And then if you look at this picture and you are uh, with someone and you don't like how they're handling things, then you should absolutely feel empowered to say, I don't want to join in this union together. Because if it's an issue for you, it's going to be an issue in your relationship and in your marriage. You know, I teach a class on people who think they want to get married. And I actually try to break people up because, you know, this sort of love conquers all is is a bunch of... Um, <laughs> Malarkey. I had, to, <laughs> I had to find the right word for the, for the podcast. Love is there and reality is there too. So it's you got to make some choices here. <laughs> right. Love does not conquer all. Uh, and, and, and so I think what that person said is she knows herself. And I applaud her saying, listen, I, I can't do this. And there is nothing wrong with that. So, Roxanne, talk to me more about some of the women you spoke to, the situations they were in, and what is it about being older that led to more complications as opposed to, let's say, you're in your 20s and you're thinking about getting married and and having that money conversation as every couple, as Michelle said, every couple needs to have the money conversation. But what is it about being older that makes that calculus for the women you spoke to differently? Well, Uh, One of the women I interviewed has been in a 10-year relationship, loves her boyfriend. He loves her. They're both divorced. They have kids from their first marriages. So they have separate finances, separate investments, separate homes, separate bank accounts, separate everything, but they're with each other all the time. They travel, they share expenses. So they are not fighting about money in the way that couples who maybe sharing living expenses or certainly trying to figure out how to use discretionary income. They both have enough. And a lot of the women basically said, you know, I'm up for love. I'm up for sex. I'm up for companionship. I'm up for fun. But I don't want to fight about money with somebody. A couple of the women I talked to had had divorces that were financially pretty devastating for them. And then they rebuilt up their own nest eggs. And I will also say, and I think that there are several reasons for any couple to commingle their finances, 
and be legally married if they're going to have children. There are a lot of legal protections that Hmm. make life much simpler. But most of the women that I interviewed had already had their children, but that's not a consideration going forward for them. So that's not a complication in their lives anymore. After the break, we talk about older couples who do want to get married and what they should do to protect the wealth they've built so far. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've talked a lot about women choosing not to marry, but there are people who do want to get married whether it's for religious or moral reasons or, or you know, they actually do want to go all in with their finances, too. So, Michelle, how can you protect yourself if you do choose to marry after you've established your finances? Well, the first thing I recommend is that they do some premarital counseling. And premarital counseling has a strong financial component to it. So in that sense, they would sit down uh, and talk about all that they have put it all on the table, as a couple, decide how they want to handle that money. So if you're coming into a relationship with other children, whether they're underage or adults, how do you want to split those assets up? And then you set up all the documents that would help facilitate that. You're going to have a will. You're going to have an estate plan. You're going to have, you know, the life insurance policies. All your ducks are going to be in a row to make it easier. It's not foolproof, but at least you've had the conversation. I think what people fear comes true because they didn't have those conversations. The expectations are too high. And when we're talking about this, we have to understand the demographics of the United States. So the women who have more power to be alone and handle their money are at the upper echelon of economics. Most Americans are making fifty to sixty thousand dollars household income, and so the less you make, marriage is a, a better case for you. But you got to go into it understanding how things are going to be done and talk about it, talk it out, lay it out. So I mean, I've had couples; they haven't looked at each other's credit reports. They don't know the other person has debt. They haven't watched how they handle money, right. or they I'm like hand it all over, right? Or <laughs> hand they it all over. The red flags, right? You know, you mm-hmm. see things happening while you're dating and you go, oh, you know, that's not going to be that big a deal. And it turns out to be a big deal. The women who are listening in particular, keep your eyes open and be transparent. And that actually is the beginning of a great relationship, whatever you decide to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of these complications. Let, let's get let's get down to it. <laughs> I do want to learn more about what makes that picture more complicated when it comes to health insurance or retirement benefits or, you know, estate planning. So Michelle and Roxanne, maybe you can both share with me a little bit some some of the things that that are more complicated when you're older and entering into a committed relationship when it comes to those things. 
Well, let's start with like retirement accounts. So you don't have a joint retirement account. The tax advantage retirement accounts are individual. So if you got a 401k, your spouse will have a 401k. There's not a joint 401k. So when you get married, that spouse has priority over that account. So you can't disinherit your spouse from your retirement plan. Hmm. That person has to agree for a different distribution of that money. So if you've got adult children from another relationship and you remarry at an older age, you have to say to that spouse, is it okay? Because to me in a marriage, your partner comes first, even over your children. So that partner has to say, yeah, I, I get it that you accumulate this before our relationship. I'm okay with that going to the children. And then you have to make sure that the documents reflect that wish. You don't want to just like forget about it and and then something happens and it all goes to the spouse when both of you kind of had thought that it would go to the adult children. Because that's that's the default, is that it would go Correct. to the spouse. So if you Correct. don't want that, you need to have that conversation. And that's the spouse has to sign off on it. You actually have to okay. sign something to say that's okay. okay. Um, if you get married older and you get divorced, in many states it's something like equitable distribution. It's not like everybody get you know have. They look at the situation. Mm-hmm. So your spouse could end up with part of your retirement plan. Um, if you divorce. So that's something that you do, you should consider if you're older. You've spent all these years accumulating, you get married older, and then it doesn't work out after a couple of years, and you don't want that person to get all of that money. So these are the things that you work through. Now, there is a, there is a, a case for marriage when it comes to Social Security, because if you are a woman and you are the lower earner, which we know women earn less than men, then you can decide do you uh, get Social Security based on your earnings record or your spouse's earning record? Hmm. If you get divorced, Social Security works better in your favor if you've been married at least 10 years. So there's like a lot of cases to get married economically. One of the pitfalls is, again, not laying it out. So, for example, you get married, you forget to change the beneficiaries and somebody gets Uh money that you you didn't intend to. Um, And so that's why, again, the communication is key. So a lot of the pitfalls come from the lack of planning. You know, like for example, you got a life insurance policy. You might put in your will that it goes to your children, but the life insurance policy has a beneficiary. Say you just put your spouse down. It's going to go to your spouse despite what your will says. Oh, wow. Really? So that's something you want to make clear. So if you're getting married again, you got a life insurance policy. You want it to go to your adult children or underage children um, if, if they're from another relationship. Make sure that that beneficiary reflects that. Yeah. Well, it, just hearing what Michelle's saying, Roxanne, makes me f- feel like, oh, I get why some of these women you spoke to said they want to avoid all of this complicated legal picture altogether. She She's assuming that the couple is in agreement on this. And hmm. one of the things that came up a lot is that there was a lot of tension about how money goes to adult children from previous relationships. Sometimes hmm. the kids were actively opposed to marriage precisely because they were afraid that some money that they thought they were going to inherit is now going to go to a second spouse. Sometimes the couple had a lot of issues about how money going to children from previous relationships was spent, like college tuitions. If there's a tension between whether a child 
is struggling and one of the partners is giving money to that child that the other spouse doesn't agree with. So there's a lot of emotional tension that comes from it. And then there's also just the issue like there's some alimony, there are some retirement benefits that are linked to a previous spouse that just end if you get remarried. There are, mm, there are women who, um, you don't hear about alimony that much anymore, but there are women who get various benefits that were associated to a previous marriage mm-hmm. and they're not willing to give that up. Sometimes it's even health insurance. And that's such a significant mm-hmm. issue that a lot of people would say, honey, I love you, but I'm not going to get married because I have this great health insurance policy. <laughs> well, I mean, I I love having this conversation because so much in our culture, when we talk about marriage, it's like no one ever wants to talk about, honey, I love you, but I don't want to lose my health insurance <laughs> in the popular culture. Um, I did want to read one other comment that a, that a social media user sent in um, after Michelle's call out. This person wrote, after my mother and her cohorts ripped me for living with my boyfriend in the 70s, I asked her in the 90s, why it was okay for all her friends to be shacking up with their new male sweethearts. She coolly told me, marriage interferes with estate planning. (laughs) So, Michelle, how would you advise people who are marrying later in life to go about estate planning? Where should they start? You know, they're ready to have the conversation. They're not afraid to have it. What should be the first thing on their list? Well, it's not the marriage. I think we have to make that point. It's not the marriage that interferes with it. It's that, just what Roxanne said, it's the emotional complications that come with it. Say that you're older and you got some money and you got adult children there. You know, you love them. You find this, you know, your your boo and you want to get married. But the kids are like, he's not getting our money, even though it's not their money because it's still the mom's money. Uh, and I tell my, hmm. I've been married 32 years, tell hmm. my children, my husband, he's he, he's above you. I am not going to make decisions based on you because this is my primary relationship. Now, if I were not married or divorced, then the kids trump the next person. And if I'm not willing to give up that place, then you don't get married. But I'm also going to say that for a lot of older women, whether they're divorced or widowed, or never married, they, for the first time in their life, they personally trump a romance Mm. or their kids. They have been taking care of people. They've been sacrificing for them. They've been working two jobs to get them through college. They've been doing all sorts of stuff. And then finally, for various reasons, they're on their own. And they're like, you know what? It's time for me. I'm going to have fun. I'm very lucky to have a whole group of girlfriends. Uh, We're all older. Virtually everybody is single, uh, some widowed, some divorced, a few married, but none of them want to get married again. And we have the financial resources to have good lives. We have fun. We have a lot of laughter. We're able to travel. Mm -hmm. And we all have kids. We love our children. Uh, But it's time for us now in a way that didn't exist before. And so uh, if a relationship, a romantic relation comes along, that's kind of icing on the cake. But it's not something that a lot of the women in an older age group are actively seeking anymore. Yeah, I agree with mm-hmm. that. I think that's so. That's such a great point. I think that's the empowerment that we see now. And my best friend and I joke that if anything happened to our husbands, we're not going to get remarried. Marriage is hard. 
negotiating <laughs> all these things is extremely hard. And I don't want to do it again at this point in my life. You know, just stepping back and thinking about this whole conversation we've been having, I, I, it comes down to me this idea that both of you are discovering that women older in life now have more choices than they've ever had before. And so whatever decisions they're making are just more fully embodied. Like they're actually choosing these things no matter what the path. And that to me is is weirdly romantic. <laughs> <laughs> it's loving yourself, right? And women traditionally were supposed to love lots of other people and take care of lots of people. And it was considered a little bit selfish to love yourself. And if we're talking ultimately about romance, being able to treat yourself with the same care and consideration and kindness that we traditionally have always treated other people is a little bit new for women, but it's nice. <laughs> yeah. I think the important is just to know yourself uh, and be mm. very honest with yourself and not be intimidated or feel as if, you know, if I don't have a relationship, I'm, I'm not a whole person. Well, ladies... I'm walking away with this message that the most important thing is to know yourself and then proceed accordingly. <laughs> right. Thank you both for joining me. Oh, it was fun. Pleasure. Oh, it was really fun. Michelle Singletary is The Post's personal finance columnist. She writes the nationally syndicated column, The Color of Money. Roxanne Roberts is a features reporter for The Post. Before we go, a few notes about other stories we're following. After a first failed attempt, House Republicans voted Tuesday evening to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas by one vote. Mayorkas is the first sitting cabinet secretary to be impeached. Republicans in the House impeached him over his handling of the southern border. Democrats and some constitutional experts have voiced concerns that the impeachment process is being used as a partisan weapon. The impeachment isn't likely to go anywhere in the Senate, which is controlled by Democrats. Another development about the House of Representatives last night, a Democrat won a special election to replace George Santos, the Republican congressman from suburban New York, who was indicted on fraud charges and expelled from Congress last year. This makes Republicans' control of the House even more narrow. To follow the latest from our colleagues on the Hill, check out WashingtonPost.com. And lastly, on Thursday, we should learn more about how two of former President Donald Trump's criminal cases will proceed in court. There are key hearings in New York and Georgia. We'll break down what we learn and what it means for the election with our colleague Aaron Blake on Friday's episode. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Sharla Freeland. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins. Show us some love on this Valentine's Day and help other people discover Post Reports by leaving a rating on Spotify or a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>